It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hey, how's it going? Welcome to episode number 503 of Locked On Raptors for Wednesday, May 1st. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter, as always, at WoodleySean. Find the show at Locked On Raptors. We can find links to every single episode of the podcast. And, of course, make sure you're checking out the Locked On Podcast Network team focus shows for all 30 NBA teams. If you're an NFL fan and you want to hear what your team did in the draft and get a breakdown of that from a local expert, make sure you're checking out the Locked On NFL shows as well. Um, if you're playing daily fantasy basketball throughout the playoffs, Locked On Fantasy with Josh Lloyd is your place to go. Locked On NBA Daily with a bunch of different hosts there, too. A uh, whole bunch of stuff going on in the network, so make sure you're subscribing, rating, and reviewing to any shows that you want to support on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, or Himalaya. And, uh, yeah, that's very much appreciated. It helps us with rankings and all that stuff. So thank you in advance for taking the small amount of time it requires to do that. All right. On today's show, it's a down day. There's uh, a game happening on Thursday, Game 3 against the Sixers. But in the meantime, we have some time to kill, time to ruminate over what's happened in Game 2 and sort of think about what maybe the Raptors can do differently in Game 3. And joining me to do all that is our pal Vivek Jacob. What's going on, buddy? Uh, not much, man. I am officially uh, spoiler alert free because I obviously watched the Game of Thrones episode when it came out, and last night I watched the Avengers movie. So it feels a lot safer to be out there on Twitter. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm glad I'm not an Avengers person. I uh, I read the Wikipedia pages for movies that I'm not going to see, but people are talking about just so I can kind of understand what the hell's going on. I know I've seen some of the like Marvel movies, but not all of them, and I don't really care that much about sort of seeing them all so I just like the day the movie came out I was like all right what happened in this movie let's fire it up and uh yeah it's weird I do that for like horror movies too that I'm like too scared to go see but I'm like curious as to how horrifying they are um like I've never seen any of the Purge movies but I've read the Wikipedia pages multiple times so that's a weird thing that I do (laughs) um uh weird thing the Raptors did they're there I got it back on track weird thing the Raptors did in game two was uh, have bad rotations. Uh, and I feel like on today's show, we kind of wanted to talk about how the Raptors can make some changes, um, adjustments, alterations, tweaks, shakeups, reimaginings, tailorings, fixes, anything except for adjustments because no one seems to know how to use a thesaurus for that goddamn word. But uh, the, the, the Raptors need to change some things. The, the Sixers did a really good job, I thought, 
of switching up their defensive alignment. And while the Raptors figured it out as the game went on, there's still some issues there, I guess, for shot creation and stuff like that. Uh, I don't know. There's a lot of things to sort of go from here. So we can kind of just roll through a few different changes we want to see from the Raptors in Game 3. Uh, Vivek, let's start with you. Like, is there one that you want to see above all else? Uh, yeah, uh, the Gasol and Bead matchup. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you've got to sort of uh, mimic those uh, that rotation, and I think it does it, two things. It, it not only puts Gasol up against Embiid more often, it also I think allows uh, Ibaka to find a rhythm early on because I think over the course of the regular season. Uh, Ibaka has found a rhythm and has played his best basketball when he's been on the court with Kyle Lowry. Mm-hmm. So if Gasol checks out of the game a bit early, um, you have Ibaka come in and he gets those few minutes with Kyle and maybe that gets him going and maybe you get, uh, you know, you, maybe you stop uh, getting these Jekyll and Hyde performances first and second half um, and you get him going early. And um, again, you know, we the Raptors' strength for pretty much all season, uh, when even when JV was healthy, was getting 48 really good minutes at the center position. And now um, that has sort of dwindled um, with Ibaka's struggle. So I think it's important to get him back to his best because if he's playing well, um, you know, I, I think it makes a big difference in terms of how this series goes going forward. Oh, especially because, like, the depth for both of these teams is a little suspect right now. If you can get a sixth guy on your team who is performing reliably, then that's going to be a huge thing in this series. So I totally agree there. Um, yeah, I... So I get sort of why Nick Nurse is held off with matching Gasol with MB. Like, I understand the arguments for it. You know, you want to maintain what you've had. It's been very good for uh, the duration of the playoffs so far. I, I, under, I understand that to a degree. And I also kind of get maybe the hesitation... You know, because this series is going to be so much about taking advantage of the other team when they have their sort of lesser lineups on the court, I kind of understand the inclination to, when Embiid comes out at seven minutes left in the first quarter, to roll with your starters because, in theory, your starters should punk whatever lineup the Sixers have out there. And maybe Ibaka, you trust a little less to help maintain that offensive flow because before Gasol came in, the big issue with that starting five was there was not a lot of flow. It was kind of dueling tracks between Kawhi doing his own thing and Kyle and the rest of the offense doing their thing. And Gasol is kind of the guy who wove it all together and made it all into this like beautiful, like unstoppable machine. So I kind of get the the resistance to pulling Gasol out there because it does feel like an opportunity. When they put Boban or Jonah Bolden or Amir Johnson or whatever one of their 11 backup centers they want to throw out there, I kind of understand why Nurse is a little hesitant there. And it it hasn't been... I don't know. The numbers are bad, right? Like, you look at the numbers. Uh, Joe Wolfon tweeted out the this, this screen cap yesterday. 36 minutes of Gasol on the court with Embiid also on the court. The Sixers have a negative 28.4 net rating. They're scoring just 86.5 points per 100 possessions. They've been awful. Um, With Embiid on the court and Gasol off the court, so the Ibaka minutes, that's 26 of the 62 minutes Embiid's played. And the Sixers have a 49.7 net rating. And that's with Embiid not being very efficient offensively, not really being able to take advantage of Ibaka one-on-one. But what's happening there is, like, Ibaka, while he's doing, I think, a pretty admirable job, there's only so much you can do, and they've had to send a lot of help, and that's when it kind of opens you up to being exposed on the wings, especially if Jimmy Butler is going to catch and shoot and take 10 threes in a game. That's really sort of opening you up to get hurt there. And and then, yeah, it just it's a really weird rotation pattern, and I kind of get why Nurse has taken some time to figure it out here. 
um, and and he's trying to sort of just go with what he knows. But I do think it makes a little sense to have Ibaka come in six minutes in, and, and not just for the, the, the Gasol matchup, like you said, but I, I think, and Will Lou made this point as well, the, the two pairings that have really worked this season big in point guard have been Ibaka with Lowry and then Gasol. I mean, him and Lowry work together well, obviously, but Gasol and Fred has been pretty good too. And it's been a limited sample size for those guys, but it feels like anytime Gasol's out there, it takes a little bit of the burden off of Fred from having to create all the time. And boy, am I ready to stop watching Fred Van Vliet run, run, run possessions. And if you can maybe yeah. sort of offset some of his weaknesses there with Gasol maybe setting it up and you have... Fred able to work off the ball a little bit, then maybe you're you're getting a, a bit of a win back there too. Especially, you know, that, that's going to help you, I think, soften the blow instead of having full bench lineups with Ibaka and Fred out there against presumably most of the starters, including Embiid. You know, if you have Gasol out there with Fred, like it just it seems like it's a little bit more balanced across the board, even if you're giving up a little bit in terms of um, like your potency when you have your starters out there against the bad lineups for the Sixers early on, like seven, like the seven to four minute marks of each first quarter and third quarter. Um, any more thoughts on this before we check into some other changes the Raps can make? Um, I, I think I would just add that. You know, you know, with Ibaka at center, that starting lineup has also been extremely effective. You know, it's yeah. not like it's a it's a bad lineup to go to. So. Um, yeah, I, I, I can understand the aspect of Nurse saying, hey, you know what, we had a five-game playoff win streak. Uh, you know, why why fix something that isn't broken? Um, but now I think Philly's given you something to think about, and hopefully he's reflective about it and goes about doing making some changes in Game 3. Yep, uh, here's hoping. Before we move on, I want to tell people about our sponsor for today, and that is ZipRecruiter. You know, the Raptors, they might be in the need of, like, some three-point shooting after what happened in Game 2, and if they are in the interest of hiring somebody... Maybe they should go to ZipRecruiter to find shooters. Uh, you know, hiring is a challenge, but there's one place you can go where hiring is simple, fast, and smart. A place where growing businesses connect to qualified candidates, and that place is ZipRecruiter.com. And we have a little personal URL you can go to just to, to go get a nice little discount on ZipRecruiter. Get a free start with ZipRecruiter at ZipRecruiter.com slash LockedOn. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invite them to apply for your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the very first day. And like I said right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at the exclusive web address ZipRecruiter.com slash LockedOn. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. ZipRecruiter.com slash LockedOn. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire, whether you're in the business of hiring someone for your small business or you're looking for better shooting. Hey guys, it's Walker Mail, host of the Locked On Hornets podcast. And being around sports media and a fan of the Hornets for a lifetime has taught me that sometimes it's exploring the sliding doors moments and what-if scenarios in sports that can be the best part of the fan experience. What if the Seahawks let Marshawn run on the one-yard line with the Super Bowl on the line? Or could a coin flip actually have landed Magic in Chicago, Michael in L.A., and made Charles Barkley the first black president? Enter Wondery's newest sports show, Alternate Routes, a weekly leap into the sports multiverse with former Sports Center anchors Trey Wingo and Kevin Frazier. 
Each week on the podcast, Trey and Kevin will pry open the sliding doors of a different what-if moment from the world of sports. In these alternate sports realities, dynasties will fall, legacies will change forever, new goats will emerge. Follow alternate routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcast. You can listen to alternate routes early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. All right, Vivek, let's uh, let's talk a little bit more about what the Raps can do in Game 3. Do you have like a second tweak that the Raps can make that you've been kind of eyeing the last couple of days here? Uh, a second tweak that the Raptors can make. So um, it's, it's not necessarily a tweak just because we saw it in the second half. I really liked the way the Raptors played uh, through Gasol in the post. Mm-hmm. Um, and so again, if Philly continues to put Tobias Harris, Harris on uh, uh, Gasol, I think the Raptors should be uh, you know opportunistic in seeking that out as much as possible. Uh, let them send the double and then play through him a, a bit more. Um, and it might make uh, you know uh, Kawhi, who's made things look extremely easy, make things even easier for him uh, going forward. And then I think Siakam, you know, maybe we get to see a bit more of his cutting game and. Um, just sort of ducking in and uh, being able to get some easy layups that, that get him going because obviously uh, we saw that Embiid out, outside of that first spin move where uh, everyone uh, was sort of uh, pulling the Nick Nurse watching that spin move around Embiid. <laughs> I think, <laughs> uh, I, I think uh, you know Siakam, you know, twenty-one points on twenty-five shots. That's not the efficiency you really associate with him. So um, I think. Playing through Gasol in the post is a really good, important way to go. Just because, again, with the way Philly defended in Game Two, they're going to dare uh, Gasol and Lowry to be aggressive and you know seek out their shot opportunities to seek out um, moments where they sort of take over for the offense. And so I think when you initiate it with Gasol, I think then having uh, Kawhi or Siakam as sort of uh, the release valve, I think it makes uh, things a bit more interesting, a bit more difficult for Philly. Yeah, I, I like the idea of trying to attack Harris as much as you can and involve him in as many actions as you can because, like, the the fact of the matter with the Sixers is is that even with their changes that they made, they still have a problem that the Raptors don't have and that they're still two bad defenders on the court. And I much prefer trying to go at Harris, who's guarding Gasol, over going at Danny Green, who's being guarded by Redick, just because I don't think Danny Green really has the chops to make plays. You know, there was a couple times where he, like, tried to post up Redick, and it's like, all right, I get it for a possession here or there, but honestly, I, I can kind of do without it. Um, and, and, like, I would rather see, like, Danny Green screen for Kawhi Leonard quite a bit more or, or and just try to open up Redick to potentially being switched on to a bad matchup that way as opposed to, like, the straight post-ups and stuff like that. But... Harris, I feel like, is very much ripe for targeting because he's guarding Gasol. First of all, I think Gasol needs to be a little bit more sort of pioneering and just, like, looking for his own buckets there. Uh, yep. Like, as much as they worked through him in the post, there was never really a time in the game where Gasol kind of backed down and tried to force Harris to defend him on, like, a 5- to 10-second basis. And it was a lot of just, like, get the ball and sort of swing it from there or set screens and have Harris be involved in the action. If he can try to back down Harris a little bit, and I know... He's not Jonas Valanciunas, and this is the big trade-off, right? Is he's not the scorer that Valanciunas is, and that is the one area where Valanciunas was just so far and away uh, a better player than Gasol. You know, like I know it's not easy, but against Tobias Harris, it shouldn't be that hard for Gasol to get in close and get some good looks, or at least draw 
you know, a little bit of sort of drifting help. And if that's the case, if the Sixers are going to send help Gasol's way, that is not good news for them because guess what? There are a lot of good shooters on the court around him and a lot of good, really smart cutters and passers that I think the Raptors are just going to eviscerate the, the Sixers if they can really get Gasol to, you know, get a couple possessions early in the game. Almost like back in the day when it was like every game would start with a Jonas post-up. Just like go to Gasol a couple times, put it in their mind that he's willing to actually do that. And yep. the next, you know, two or three times after he you know, goes and posts him up a couple times, you know, that's when maybe the Sixers start compromising their defense a little bit and leaving open really good shooters. And if one thing has been said over and over in this series by Brett Brown, it's that he's pretty scared of the Raptors shooters. He's mentioned it in every single press conference so far that they're the best three-point shooting team in the league since the trade. And he seems very mindful of it. And he seems... Like, he's not thrilled about the idea of sending doubles anywhere, but, you know, because Kawhi is so good, it kind of forces it in in that regard sometimes. But if you can send doubles Gasol's way and force him to do that, that's really going to open things up. So I I very much agree with attacking Harris there. Um, I also, you know, you mentioned Siakam. I wonder if maybe having Siakam be a ball handler a little bit more to try to draw Embiid out will be something they try to do. I know Siakam can be a little bit hit or miss with his handle, um, but I, I think having Embiid away from the basket, not allowing him to just kind of sit back and force Siakam into those those floaters, I think it'd be a pretty good idea. At the very least, if you have Siakam at the point of attack, sort of say like up at the top of the arc, and he's attacking, you know, you have Gasol screen form or something. Maybe they switch and get Harris onto him, or maybe they stay true with their with their, you know, the, like Embiid goes under or whatever, and maybe they try to have something where. Um, you know, like Siakam's at least getting ahead of head of steam going at at uh, at Embiid as opposed to just like getting it at the nail and trying to make something happen there. Uh, what do you think of yeah. that idea to have Siakam be more of a, a primary ball handler when he's on the floor against Embiid? Yeah, I mean, now that you say it, I I, I actually like the potential for you know maybe uh, to run some four or five pick and rolls where maybe now you can get Tobias Harris switched back onto Siakam, mm-hmm. uh, and and that way. Uh, you know, I, I thought Siakam was really effective going up against Harris, and so if you can create more of those opportunities, I'd be all for it. Um, and yeah, I think if if uh, you're gonna get Siakam to attack Embiid, then maybe he does need a bit more of a runway than he's had. Um, you know, I, I thought quite a few times it was from the baseline where you know I think Embiid felt confident in sort of sh- shutting off uh, one side of him and controlling the other. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I think if you get him up at the top of the key, there's just a bit more room to operate. Um, and so, yeah, I definitely agree with that. Yeah, I think because of Embiid's sort of decrepit state, uh, and maybe two days off will help him and he'll look spry and fresh and he'll go for 30 and 10 in the next game. Um, although I yeah. think the Raptors kind of have the, the juice to maybe keep the damage limited there. Um, I still think the more you can force Embiid to just like have to move around on defense, I think that's smart. And I think Nurse can do it, and I think Siakam can do it, and I don't see any reason why all these things that, like, we're, like I'm an idiot, and I'm coming up with this stuff, and it, it feels like the, the coaching staff has been a little... I don't know, hesitant. Are you concerned with how hesitant they've been to sort of change things up? Do you understand the reasoning for sort of their rigidity and like their maybe slow reaction time here because of how successful they've been so far in the playoffs? Um, that's a good question. Uh, I feel like, you know, we maybe emphasize it a bit more and are more disappointed because of what 
uh, everyone's been sold when Nurse was hired, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, being being advertised as this genius offensive guru, and uh, you know, being really innovative and creative, and I think maybe you know, outside of the timeshare at center and uh, all that kind of stuff, we haven't really seen too much uh, of that, and I think you know, even even the stuff that he's sort of joking, half-jokingly talked about, he hasn't really gone to. Like, I, I remember one time in the middle of the season, he was intrigued by the possibility of um, a lineup where you had Siakam at the point, then Danny, Kawhi, um, OG, and I forget who. Uh, but essentially, Siakam would have been the biggest guy on the court. Yeah. Uh, it, Lowry wasn't going to be on the court. Like Norman um, there or something, or like DeLon before the trade? Yeah, 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 something like that, where it was just pure length and defense. And, you know, it sounded at least like cool to try and have a look at. Um, and so we so the, there's quite been quite a few things that he's talked about that he, for whatever reason, hasn't been willing to go to in games. Uh, and maybe some of that has been injuries and the trades and that kind of stuff. Uh, where he's just been forced to a point where it's like, hey, we got to get going. We're just going to, you know, go with what we have. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, th- I think it is disappointing to see uh, some of the decision-making that, that, that we've seen. Um, but, you know, I think at the same time, you're not going to be, you know, A1 superstar at your job the first year you at it, right? Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, I think we have to recognize that this is a guy who's uh, – doing it for the at the NBA level for the first time in his career and there's going to be some growing pains and that is part of the risk that you know uh, you take this is Jake from Locked On Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history after beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011 Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time but there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring. But for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Barea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Barea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Barea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Yeah, and I think, I don't know, you can kind of cut it any way you want when you're like evaluating a coach, and especially when you're comparing what Nurse is to what Dwayne Casey is, right? Like, I think... The criticism with Casey was always that he was too reactive and that he, you know, would kind of always be on the back foot and not really press his advantage. And I guess you could argue that by Nurse not reacting to what the Sixers do rotation-wise and just kind of sticking with what he has, he is in a way trying to not be on the back foot, if that makes any sense. Like, he's sticking with what he has and he's he's just like, hey, you're going to have to bend to our will because we're really good. And... It has sort of worked through two games. My, you know, I know the numbers are not very good, but it, like again, Abak has been okay dealing with with Embiid, and then you, I don't know. It, it is disappointing that he's been so rigid, and I, I don't think it's going to continue. I think 
it, it made sense to stay sort of chill after game one and not get too out of hand with what you're trying to change up. And then after a loss in game two, I, I feel like he'll probably be forced into doing different stuff. Like, he just is going to have to. Um, yeah. But, like, I, I, I can totally see both sides of it. Like, because it, you're never happy with a coach, right? And this is one of the most exhausting things just about, like, covering basketball is that coach anger and, like, just just constant criticism of coaching, it's just, it becomes very hypocritical because you end up critiquing Nurse for the same, or different things than what you wanted from Dwayne Casey. Like, he's doing different things, and then you're like, oh, why is he not doing this? And it's like, I don't know, it feels like a moving target a lot of the time with coaches, and everyone is the smartest person in the world except for the coach, and I don't know, I have a hard time kind of getting too upset about it all because like i don't know they're five and two and have the second best net rating in the in the the league in the in the playoffs like something's obviously working and honestly if not for some rough shooting that was their worst three-point shooting game since the gasol trade in game two they probably win that game anyway and probably win it kind of easily because their defense is still so so good um let me ask you about the defense so i don't think there's any need to change anything i think the way they've gone about it is working pretty well they've held teams to less than 100 points or less than a point per possession for six straight games um is there any sort of change on the defensive side of the ball that you'd like to see from nurse or are you kind of okay with what the the status quo is i'm quite happy with the defense Mm -hmm. i mean even even this last game they held them under 40 percent shooting so um i think at the end of the day as much as we talk about um nick nurse and what should be changed and this and that like you know there were danny green wide open three away from tying the game um and yeah you don't you don't expect uh the raptors to shoot 27 percent from three so uh you know Will, will the Raptors sort of matching the the Philly three-point production hurt them over the course of the series? Absolutely. Do you expect them to be better? Absolutely. Um, so I think as far as the defense is concerned, they're doing everything they should do. Um, you know, I think uh, the Gasol at center um, against, you know, whether it's Vucevic or uh, Embiid, it's all gone perfectly fine. Um, and the, the way, you know, I thought Orlando, you know, coming into the season, uh, coming into the playoffs, uh, you, they were a team that really took care of the ball and they were able to figure out a way to still uh, open up their transition game and get out uh, on the break with some turnovers. So I thought that was a really encouraging sign. They've carried uh, that over. You know, they, Philly, I mean, they had a lot of turnovers in game two as well. I mean, so I think defensively, I don't think I have any complaints. I don't, I don't really look to change much. That's perfectly fine as it is. Yeah, I think I'm with you there. The The turnovers have been very real, and I think they, like, 18 of their 38 first-half points came off of turnovers in the first half yeah. uh, in Game 2. Like, it's working for them, and I like their aggression, and I like that they're kind of really trying to, I think, capitalize on the sort of recklessness that the Sixers play with at times, and... I, yeah, I agree. The defense entirely is, is cool with me. And that's the nice thing about having a team with no bad defensive players, I guess. You don't have to really screw around too much. You can just say, hey, uh, go play good defense, good defensive players, and it kind of works. Um, I guess I'm just kind of running out of other things the Raptors can do to change because it feels like they're very close to being up 2 nothing in this series. I still feel like they are very much the favorites. I think some of the projections have them as like overwhelming favorites still. Um, I know Jacob Goldstein has the Raptors as like 81% chance to win the series and still Raptors in five is the most likely outcome for the series by, by a hair. Um, like 
Is there anything else that the Raptors can change? Is there any little fixes that you want to see, or are you just kind of like, the shooting will stabilize and they'll be fine? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think if anything, when the Sixers, you know, I, th- I thought the first quarter, the Sixers really threw the Raptors into a funk uh, with how they played it defensively. Mm. And so just that that a uh, little bit extra, uh, extra assertiveness, um, and we, we kind of touched on that before. Uh, yeah, just that little bit extra assertiveness from the other guys uh, when their opportunities come. Um, I think I think we all expect Danny Green to turn things around. Uh, so uh, yeah, I'm I'm not too uh, concerned with the way Game Two went. Um, there's there's some very uh, straightforward fixes that I expect Nurse to make. Um, again, I've seen enough in this first season to believe he's better than Casey, um, and I feel pretty good about him uh, as the head coach. So mm-hmm. uh, I expect the Raptors to do what they need to do in Philadelphia and still, you know, probably probably go on to win this series in six games. Yep. I uh, I guess last thing before we go, rotation wise, um, is there anything you would do differently with just who's playing those minutes as the six, seven, eighth man? Um, I know. I, I think mean, if get rid of the Jody Meeks minutes, please. <laughs> I'm ready for the Jody Meeks minutes to go bye bye. But uh, is there anything else you would do? Is there anyone who's not playing that maybe you consider giving a shot here? I think you know one thing with Nurse being considered uh, an offensive guy is maybe you know he looks at the spacing, uh, the potential spacing issues a bit too much. Yeah. Uh, where you know. It, the need to play Fred, the need to play Meeks, where I think you, you almost at a certain point have to look at it the other way and say, hey, these guys aren't giving us anything offensively. Let's at least ramp up the defense and get a guy like McCaw in there, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, th- I think that's that's a consideration that has to be made, whether Van Vliet's struggling or, you know, if he's looking down the bench and thinking about Meeks, maybe just go with McCaw and see what he could give you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I would like to see McCaw. If there are going to be those ceremonial Meeks minutes, first of all, let's never ever see a, a unit with four bench guys against the Sixers starters ever again. That at the end of the third quarter was uh, unconscionable. It was really, really dumb and bad. And like Kawhi was seeing like triple teams and they couldn't do anything with it because they had bad players on the court. Um, and yeah, I'm ready for Meeks not to be a thing anymore. McCaw, at least, yeah, he adds a little chaos. He kind of fits into what the Raptors' defensive identity is, which is just like go crazy and try to get steals and be active. And so I, I'm down for that. And he's got a little bit of ball handling too. I mean, it's not like you want to see him handling the ball in a playoff game, but like he was like an emergency point guard at times this season. If Fred is really struggling, I wouldn't hate to see... I don't think I would want McCaw to be the only point guard on the floor, I guess, but I, I don't know. Are you getting close to Jeremy Lin? <laughs> like I, I joked about this, but... Um, like is Jeremy Lin at all in your mind? Is like if, if Fred continues to struggle, he's been really bad so far through two games. Is there any way that you could envision Nurse going to Lin in in place of Fred? I mean, if it stays this bad, and then like I, w- I would still have McCall ahead of Lin. Yeah. So if McCall was also giving you nothing, then yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't think Lin did enough during the regular season to validate. Uh, being out there unless you really have to break glass. Yeah, fair enough. Also, just play the good players more minutes, please. (laughs) 
it's kind of where I'm <laughs> I mean, at. Re- realistically, it was just Gasol, right? I mean, Siakam, Lowry, uh, Kawhi, they all were over 40 in this last game. So Green played um, 32, which I think is too low. Green should be like those. Those that minute thirty for Meek should have just been Greens. That's that's completely fair. Yeah. That that I agree with. Um, I just, I uh, yeah, I just wonder how much of it was just Green's struggles and not just his struggles, but the fact that I think both Orlando and Philly have been quite effective in just taking away his best opportunities. Yeah. Um and. They sort of know, uh, again, it's, it's, you don't fall for the regular season tricks anymore, right? The, the little pump fake and move in that Danny does so well. Mm-hmm. Um, they're really sticking to him in the corners. Uh, so um, maybe some of it was that. But, yeah, I agree. He could. Uh, <laughs> there's no need for Meeks to be on the court ahead of Danny Green. God, I'm having, like, nightmare visions of that pass he tried to make to Fred in the corner and didn't make the pass at all and turned it over. It sucked. Um This podcast did not suck. Vivek, thank you so much for joining me today. Do you have anything uh, that you want to plug before we wrap this thing up? Um, I I guess it's a bit dated at this point, but uh, I wrote about uh, Nurse maybe uh, coaching that game too, like like someone who had a game one lead. And so, Mm. uh, you know, not really matching that desperation that Billy had. Uh, So, yeah, if you want to read that, 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 that's uh, up on Yahoo Sports. Uh, Canada and besides that you can check out you know all my stuff there now and the podcast uh, on Raptors over everything right on uh, you can find me at Woodley Sean on Twitter subscribe rate review to this podcast iTunes Stitcher Spotify Google Play uh, we'll have a Patreon podcast coming up sometime soon here too we got a mailbag in the works and then uh, I wrote uh, a new edition, a playoff edition of What Didn't Suck for Raptors HQ. It went up this morning. If you want to check that out, I may have, may or may not have cited some things I put into that piece in today's podcast because that's just easy. And uh, why not? It's two different platforms. I don't care. <laughs> and so read that if you want to feel better about the Game 2 loss. Uh, that's going to do it. Thank you so much. We will talk to you after, I believe, Game whatever it is, Game 3 on Thursday. I'll do a podcast after the game. And uh, until then, thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you next time on Locked on Raptors. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked on podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. 